0: got fixed kind of fix the audio level there seems good it's better huh yeah although you know no one none of our listeners had to deal with an audio level issue because i fixed it in post last episode yeah anyway well john uh people will be happy to know that i have cleared the buffer oh for the stickers yeah <laughs> i shipped stickers did you get that last one that came in a couple of days yes, ago? Yes, I did. Okay. In fact, that person, and I think that was another. Um, you know, we must we have must have. I don't ever look at this, but we must have a lot of listeners uh, in Australia, and New Zealand, because we ship a lot of stickers there. Oh, maybe. I mean, this batch was maybe our. our this sense batch of was humor majority relevant in other countries. This batch was majority New Zealand and Australia. Mm. I love the city. The city names there too. Yeah. Well, they're just all Aboriginal, or lots of them, you know. Mm. But yeah, sent stickers out. In fact, yeah, the the guy that came in the other day with the request, um, he got his sticker sent out same day. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is waiting months. Yeah, I, exp- I expect yeah. a five star review for that.
1: <laughs> oh it's man, it's like being the what is it the hundredth customer at Chick Fil A? Is that what it is? You get something. You get it free? Oh, I didn't know that. Just every day, the hundredth customer. I don't. I don't know. I just. I got it once and oh. found out it was a thing when Never I got it. Yeah. they're like, "You're the hundredth customer." I'm like, "Okay, cool. I'm like, you're you don't have to pay." Huh? That's interesting. Um, it's funny because I had i ordered for a family. It wasn't like just a like me. It was like four <laughs> meals.
0: <laughs> you should have said, "Gosh, I wish I'd have known this." What would I yeah. would've. <laughs> would've gotten the party platter? The yeah. <laughs> the poopoo platter. I, I don't know. you know what that is? No. I don't know. What is a poo-poo platter? I don't know. And you spell it like, poo, like poop-poo? Or is it like P-U-P-U? No, it's P-U-P-U. <laughs> poo-poo platter is a tray of American Chinese or Hawaiian food consisting of an assortment of small meat and seafood appetizers. <laughs> oh, okay. What a weird name. I know. <laughs> Probably comes from this. Pano <laughs> Pano just no one could pronounce it in, yeah. in America, so they just shorten it to poo-poo. I guess. <laughs> Some marketer <laughs> thought it would be a great idea. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, I wanted to rant on something. Oh, what a coincidence. So do I. I know. Well, <laughs> hopefully mine won't be. Uh, mine's not as germane, but so we'll get it out of the way. But I, it's been so long since I've shipped stickers that I had, didn't even have like the Dymo label printer software on this computer. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> did it install that's where i'm going with this <laughs> okay <laughs> so i download the you know the software and driver and i'm doing the scare quotes uh for the mac
1: mm-hmm.
0: from dymo and dymo's huge you know and they have they support like i think i'll all, i do not know they brought on if they support linux but they've always supported like mac and windows pretty well and so i download of course it's a 280 megabyte download i'm just like what what, the fuck? what is this it should be a printer driver it should be like 1.7 megabytes or something like that. It's probably got all the font images in it or something. So, I download it, and I, you know, it's got, you know, a normal like, Mac installer or whatever. It's mm-hmm. probably like a package file, and I double-click, and that, it goes through the process. <clears throat> and I notice, like, as soon as it's done, and I go through that GUI, next, 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 close, it pops up in a couple, of, a couple of terminal windows, flash up. And one of them, it looks like it didn't run anything or it failed to run, and the other one um, ran some command. I didn't know what the command was. It wouldn't show me. And but I had to enter my admin password on the ter- terminal for this oh. to go through. I found out what command it was running. It was trying to register a certificate in the keychain. I'm like okay, fine. So I enter my password. That completes. <clears throat> and then I go look in my applications folder once this is all done. And there's there's three things. There's Dymo Connect, which is like the software that you you open up the Dymo Connect software and it's got its own little, like um, you can pick which label size you have and type stuff into it. You can print right from there, from, uh-huh. from their software. But it also has, let me go look at the name of this. Uh, Dymo, this is the name of the app, application in my application folder. Host. Uh-huh. Okay. So problem number one is, uh, now, I go into my printers in, in the Mac and it Boom, it's detected it. It's green. It's online, just like it has always been. So okay, great. It's it's there. But in this Dymo Connect software, it's saying uh, you know, there's no printer connected. No printer connected. And I'm like, well, crap. So then I'm like, I'm well, let me try to launch this web api. dot host thing. So I try to launch that, nothing happens. So then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Googling I'm, and there was nothing useful about this on Dymo's website. I just had to find another kind of like janky question and answer sites or whatever tech support help sites.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I found some things and there were some things that were, talked about the certificates like you need to like just try to like remove the old certificates and reinstall and let it do that. So I actually did that. remove the Dymo certificates from Keychain, reinstalled everything, didn't fix it. And then I'm like, well, oh, crap. So I open up the the um like the mac console and i you know enable streaming of the console which is basically everything that gets written to system out or system error i don't know how i'm not sure actually which stream that is but it's it's a firehose if you've ever turned that on and looked at have you done that Uh -uh. yeah this is like some of the some the way you get you know if if something doesn't have good like an application doesn't have good error logs or whatever you can usually go to the console because it's logging it to something it's just the the app the app may not capture or log its own it may not do it may not like write its logs to files but it will log them to like the system logging facilities mm-hmm. so you can go in the console and you can sometimes see what's happening the downside to that is as soon as you turn it on it's it um in this console app uh, that comes with a Mac it's under like apps you, or application slash utilities I think hmm. um. It's just, it's a firehose. You're just seeing, I mean, because there's just like, it's, you know, it's, it's your network subsystem. It's your file sets. It's everything. It's just like a login, just every kernel extension. So everything's just constantly logging stuff. Um, but I, so I, I, I enabled, I enabled it to start streaming the console. I, then I opened up the Dymo app, try to print. Then I stopped streaming because I already collected like 100 megabytes of things. And, but you can, at least there's like a search utility in this. So I'd search down uh-huh. to Dymo and I could see. Uh, the error, it was—I forget exactly what it was, but something—it was some kind of certificate error and it's missing an intermediate certificate. I mean, because I can see the DIMO, its they call it their—it's their, basically their root CA certificate. Uh-huh. Um, so they—it's it, basically like a guess—they're the, their own certificate authority. So they—it installs that, but there's no other Dymo certificate. So I'm, I suspect that for some reason, there is another certificate that is signed by that certificate, that root certificate that needs to be installed. And the whole reason for it's it's missing, so that's my problem. But I don't even know where the certificate is. The the installer won't install it. And this whole problem is unnecessary. It's caused by the fact that they implemented this Dymo application as like a a local web server with its own certificates. And when you print, Mm -hmm. it goes to like this web server. And then the web server captures it and then actually sends it to your printing subsystem. Stop with this bullshit. This is unnecessary. This is way over-architected. Yeah. This is what happens when your your chief architect ner- getting like nerds out and uh-huh. wants to web enable everything and you know learn imp- implement all the things he just read in the latest book or you know he saw on Stack Overflow or something. Yeah, this is bull crap. People have got to stop doing this. I can now this app won't work at all. And so what I did: every single person who get is get stickers in this batch got hand artisanally small batch fairly large batch actually hand written envelopes wow because of that and i never write anymore and after like the second one my my wrist is already hurting my hands hurting (laughs) i'm like i have so many more to do (laughs) it took me an hour to write all these envelopes yesterday wow so i don't know maybe at some point you can give me some tech support and we can see if we can get that Network. I don't know if I can. I mean, I just don't know what to that, do.
1: It, they either did it for DRM purposes or they did it because some of these printers, they have they have a way to connect to them directly through Wi-Fi. Um, and so I'm wondering if that's why they implemented these types of interfaces mm-hmm. and then just said, well, we might as well just make the everything communicate through this interface. Yeah.
0: Yeah, one interface to rule them all. Yeah. But it's a pain. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's not like I'm on a new operating system. I mean, whatever. what is this one called that we're running now? The, I'm on the latest, I think. It's oh, I you know, know. It's been out for a long time. Um, it's not that. That's not the problem. Monterey.
1: Yeah. But it could be the M1s, too, though. The M1s have been a bit iffy on
0: certain things. I really haven't had any issues. <laughs> I've noticed quirks. I haven't been you know keeping what? a list, People... but I've noticed a lot of quirks. Yeah, but, but are you just assuming that it's the
1: M1 causing your quirks? I can't be sure. Um, like IntelliJ's latest update, uh, my the IDE will flicker, and it turns out they're using Apple's Metal API or Metal, something yeah. for the for the UI graphic rendering yeah. and things like that. So I don't know if it has something to do with the Metal API or the M1 in the Metal API or what, but it,
0: it'll flicker. Yeah, that's hard to say. I mean, it could be, but I I do think that uh, I mean, I'm, there's no doubt there's there, there are issues, um, but I think I think the Apple Silicon or silicone, as you would say. Um, I think it gets unfairly blamed and maligned for things that it's not responsible for. Possibly. I've actually been amazed. Um, all the virtualization stuff worked. And you remember, I, you know, a couple weeks ago, I told my win, my story of getting Windows running. And mm-hmm. um, that ended up working, luckily, but but um, because I had installed Windows 11, the newest one, and it just has, happens to have great support for ARM. So there was no emulating happening. I, I just kind of assumed I didn't really think about it that, you know, your parallels and like VMware Fusion or whatever, that they would just do the emulation. Like I can install Windows XP if I wanted to, but you can't. They don't emulate. I've noticed that uh, They don't. They virtualize your computer, but they don't emulate other processor architectures. Mm. So like I said, the reason I got Windows to work is because Windows 11 supports ARM really well. Hmm. Supposedly. I mean, it worked fine for me for what I needed to get done. Yeah, which was fun because no, I didn't, that was because I, I couldn't get it, uh, I couldn't get Fox Pro installed because I'm amazed you got it to install I, am, I when am you too, first actually. brought
1: it up and said I was gonna deal with it i, I was I was scouring the internet looking for freaking an, an installer of Fox Pro um no and I just didn't I didn't, I didn't realize
0: that the stupid install UI that was that, that bad was, design. That was clickable. although I
1: I was aware of it I just thought you clicked it and it didn't do anything no I just I didn't know it was in a clickable I didn't know it's clickable yeah because that's that's normal <laughs> windows installer UI
0: Do they still have that webby-looking UI? Really? Yeah.
1: Well, I haven't done it recently, but for the longest time, yeah, it was that kind of, when they kind of switched to kind of this hybrid web UI type thing, it was actually still Windows component rendering, but they rendered it to look like web. I think some of the later UI frameworks do kind of use more of a a web framework, but back then it was kind of faked
0: Mm. to look that way. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, we need to get that fixed before the, the next batch goes out. Yeah. So speaking of stickers though, um, if people do want to get, you know, last minute requests in before Dreamforce, I can, I can probably, I can probably do another batch, another batch and Why don't you just know,
1: stand in the corner and hand them out.
0: Well, that's, I could do that. Um, there are good places to hand them out. Yeah. But, um. No, I uh, we we still have a lot. We have a lot, and we probably used half of them. I can't remember how many we ordered three thousand something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't part of that order, so um I don't remember how many it was. Thousands. Yeah, <laughs> we've sent a lot. We have. I look back at the threshold, We've sent a lot of stickers out.
1: I wonder how many. we Or used maybe sent. if your fr- your sticker needs a refreshing. You know, maybe it's gotten a yeah. bit worn. And although
0: our logo is laptop. meant to be worn looking, it is. So I, I, no, I. It's I, probably I, just aging. I agree. A good a good natural patina on that yeah. logo is really going to help it. Uh, yeah, well, we've sent a lot out, but not near enough. We've sent five hundred sixty eight stickers out. Uh, we really we need to send a lot, and we have a lot more listeners than that. So Can't I believe you actually. So listen, that. okay, this is this is a, an appeal here, dear listener. If you have not gotten stickers from a Good Day Sir stickers from us, send me an email info at gooddayserpodcast Send me your your uh, your um, mailing address. Cause we can ship these everywhere. I got a bunch. Of, I just stick a bunch of stamps on it. Hope, you know, hoping that it gets there. I actually do. I do look up what the, um, you have to look like what the country it's going to. There's the U S postal service groups, countries into these pricing codes. You have to figure out the pricing code for the country it's going to. And then you can go to like the pricing chart for like first class letters. um, and you can see what like, what the charge for that is, and then I just have to put enough stickers on there. By the way, forever stamps because that's what I have is forever stamps. Those are worth sixty cents now. A stamp is sixty cents. Yeah, oh, so it's now now it's an investment commodity. <laughs> well, in fact, I bought some of these stickers. So these uh, stamps, I found an old pack that I bought a long time ago. That I, f- I found it in the back of the drawer, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm oh like I probably paid like forty cents for these. Now they're worth sixty, which is great though because you know it's like, I mean, because it can take three of these. Uh, mm-hmm. To get stickers to certain places, but, so. but yeah, we can send them anywhere. So please, info@gooddayserverpodcast uh com. Just give us your uh, mailing address and then how many stickers. I'm mean, actually fit up to about ten. If you have like a group or a, um, if you want to give them to your force your your team to put them on their backpacks and computers, or if you have like a user group or whatever, we, I can do ten. I might be able to do more too if you if you need more. But I mean, I've sent up I've sent a hundred before. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Actually, twice we've sent a 100. Um, once to England, once to Florida. Yeah, we can send them anywhere. So don't be shy. We have a lot of stickers and we really need to get through these before they start like turning yellow and whatever, browning. I don't know. <laughs> oh, all right, John. Um, I have another follow up. If we want to get my sure. topic out of the way, then we can just, then it can be the John show after that. First half, Jeremy show, second half, John show. Sure. Why not? <clears throat> Uh, I just want, wanted to follow up. Wow, I can't use words correctly. I wanted to follow up on my this data sonnet discussion. So for those who haven't listened, uh I'll give a brief recap. <clears throat> so data sonnet is a it's like a trans it's like a data transformation language. And it's based on this data transforming language data transformation language called JSONnet, which is really popular in the um it's popular in the big, like it, like I won't say enterprise. I mean, I guess enterprise IT, but real. I don't, and I don't mean when I say enterprise IT, I don't mean people sitting around doing Visual Basic. I mean people that are deploying m- m- high scale apps with Kubernetes on cloud infrastructure, with all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> um, they're using JSON it to basically take a template for like configuration files, and then when they go deploy to a, like a new cluster, like that template gets ran against basically the configuration values for that cluster and produces your final configuration file, which with everything filled in and everything. And there's just, there's all kinds of, you know, you can imagine you might need looping constructs and conditional, you know, conditional properties on output and, and all kinds of stuff. And and data sonnet builds on JSON it and adds things like data formats. Like it natively understands, like it can convert to and from JSON and, and CSV and XML. I think those are the main three actually, which uh-huh. gets you like 95% of if you're doing like data migrations or integrations, like those are, those are the main things you really need. Um, but it also adds all these additional fu- like kind of um, like data functions and math functions. So like all kinds of like joining functions, almost like database, like inner joins and outer joins, all kinds of stuff. Um, and it's extremely similar to this language that MuleSoft has called data weave, data weave, and DataWeave is really popular amongst the MuleSoft crowd. Um, it's Well, mainly because it's, I won't say it's their only option, but it's just, it's like the way that you transform your data. So you just do it in DataWeave. And I thought, oh, you know, this is this is great. I'm glad that DataSon is available and someone created, um, adapted as a Camel component. So you can use it in Camel. So I was like, oh, I'm going to, so anyway, so I was working on actually as an internal integration. I was like, I'm going to use DataSon for this just to, almost just to trial it out and everything. And. And I used it, and for this integration, it it seemed fine. It worked well. It's pretty easy. I mean, it's fewer. It's, it's, you know, you could argue. the Here's the argument. It's simpler to maintain because you have, like, fewer kind of files involved in your integration. Because I can just tunnel the data sonnet transformation in just as a string inside the rest of this integration, you know, kind of config. Mm -hmm. Um. So, arguably, it would be simpler for if someone else was coming along who maybe wasn't like a, you know, programming person or whatever. They could maybe make some changes or something. I mean, uh, you know, that argument usually, that that, that stuff demos well, mm-hmm. but, in, but in real life, it doesn't really work out that well. But anyway, I was, it seemed fine. And I was like, oh, this is not a bad experience. And then, so I go back to, I'm working on, um, started a, a, a different integration. This is for a client integration. And I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm going to keep rolling with with data on it here i got one transformation in and this was these these were not complex transformations but there's enough going on that i I bailed on data on it it could it can do it it can do it all it's just it 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 is not the right tool for the job so i i go back i went back to you know using uh kotlin for my data because it's Kotlin is uh, it's just such a nice language. Um, syntax is really is really nice' there's, you know you don't have to have semicolons and every expression is a value so there's it's great for data transformation and the great thing about doing these in Kotlin is like uh, like for like if you're doing Salesforce, like of the Salesforce integration like the way I do them, I always have um, generated like um, like Dto classes mm-hmm. that are generated from the, from your org and so and it's they're all typed and everything so I've got you know strongly typed, Representations of every object that's in Salesforce, the right data types. So my my again my IDE auto corrects everything. If I try to assign of the you know wrong value to something like a different wrong data type, you know IDE instantly tells me and it's like oh you should just like cast this to a string or like or what is the you know like it just does all that. um And when and when they, when the transformations gets more complex, Kotlin just completely shines, and that's where these like. These low code things just totally fall apart. I mean, it just, again, you probably can do it. It just, you shouldn't. You're going to have a way more brittle product in the end that is scary to make changes to. That's harder to test. That's not near as testable. And so, and this is a client project. I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. I got it. I got to do the right thing. Uh-huh. You know? So at what point did it stop being useful? Um, when the when the transformation started getting more complex and and like with like lots of nested objects and stuff, and then mm. I'm just like, uh, and I can't remember there was something else too, there was some kind of type conversions or whatever, and I'm just like, you're just flying blind, tunneling another language in a language. It's almost mm. like you know, like applications where you know, like me writing a C sharp application, and you just you just have SQL tunneled in, like you know, it's, it's an application that talks to a database. You have SQL tunneled in, like it's just it's a it's a that string of SQL. And I know with IDs nowadays, actually, can if you set it up right, like set up your Visual Studio, yeah. it, can, it can look at the database and see the schema and then help you out with that stuff now. But before that, you know, it's like you're just tunneling a black box into your C Sharp application here. Yeah, and it's just not great. Um, it's not not a great way to do it. And and I knew that the tra- on this particular project the transformations were going to get even more complex and I'm just like I, I I need to switch I need to change horses now, right before I get into the middle of the stream. Yeah. So That's... anyway, data it. it's cool. I mean, it's really cool. Um, because it's it's also it's like functional and static. Um, it's hard to explain. It's not imperative mm. at all. And, and, and really, I mean, even in Kotlin, like, I'm, well, I guess I do have some imperative stuff. I mean, I do have like if statements and things, I guess those are imperative, but they're, it's mainly all functional. But yeah, the, just the testability um, of having my transformations in Kotlin. I mean, I can run, I might get unit tests for all these. And, you know, it's, it's great when, you know, six months from now you make a change or even as you're you you're know as you're building out the integration, you're making changes, you're kind of refactoring things and realizing, oh, I can deduplicate. I've got a couple of different things that are doing the same thing. So you extract it out and just having that whole test harness. You can just in like literally like because it's all it's all just Kotlin code. Like five seconds, you can run all your unit tests to see what you broke, if you broke anything. That is, and I'm just I can't I can't forego that because it, it ends up making your it ends up taking you way longer to finish the project because uh-huh. you end up walking, you know what, what, it, but initially it may be hard, compact sand. You're walking on starts turning into quicksand slowly and slowly, and slowly the thread that you get. Yeah. The next thing you know, you're like just doing the smallest thing. It's just, it's a mess because your project is a mess because you have bad tools. You didn't, you didn't use the right tools for the job. That makes me sad. But I'm glad, say that. I'm glad that that data son exists. Like I said, it is cool, I mean, and there's things that I think I, I will still use it for. Yeah, um, I just you know again, it's knowing it's knowing when to use it's knowing what I know this. We say this all the time. I, I know I'm a broken record, but it's it's choosing the right tool for the job. Right. Like in this case, I got kind of partway in. It's like imagine you're I don't know you're building a little fort in the backyard for your kids, and you know you 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 grab the nails you think you're right, and you're like you know you get three or four nails in, you're like. I can keep going with these nails, but they're not really right. You should should stop right then. Go to Home Depot, get the right nails, come back, finish the job. Mm Yeah.
1: I don't feel like I have that flexibility, though.
0: It depends. Every time you talk about your eh. stuff, it kind of cuts into my heart when you say, I can run my test in five seconds. I know you're dealing with a lot more platform issues than I do, but there's there's still plenty of scenarios where you're evaluating, okay, what's the right way to do this? I've got options. Sure. But
1: I think the key difference here is that so much of it is in your control in terms of the tooling, in terms of the execution, in terms of, you know, whatever bandwidth your hardware has, all of that stuff. There's so much
0: of what I do is out of my control. And there's no gags. I mean, when an exception's thrown, I can can debug and step in directly to, right down to the metal. And so I can, which is great because documentation's never enough. No product is documented well enough Mm -hmm. that... that it's not that it's not that it no longer becomes useful to be able to step into any of the code and see what's happening what's it trying to do what is it looking for what am i you know i'm i'm probably doing like most gacks most gacks i would say are are, are really user problems like you're doing something wrong but you don't know what's wrong you don't know what you don't know what you're doing wrong because for security reasons salesforce can't show you the exception or the stack trace or the message Uh or anything um but yeah, for the most of the work I do, I can I can see it. I can all all the way to the metal. and if I need to, and and I can also step break breakpoints and step through, which is really useful when you when you you can't quite tell what path something's going through to know what you need to do or change or what's happening. Mm-hmm. Oh, just set a breakpoint and then step through it. You can see what's happening. Set breakpoints and watches and things like that. Yeah. So I just yeah, I uh, not having that stuff is just makes Jeremy a, a sad developer. But <laughs> well, we do have breakpoints in Apex. They're just a little cumbersome. You know, ne- I know they are. I, they look. Cum- I've never even used the breakpoints. Yeah. Um, they do look cumbersome. It's like that the relatively new debugger, I guess, that's a couple of years ago um, that lets yeah. you set breakpoints. Yeah. Did they end up charging for that? I know they wanted to charge for did. that. Remember I, that they were like, "Yeah, we're going to charge." I'm like, "What? You can't charge for a debugger? <laughs> Get out of here!" This isn't
1: 1972. Yeah, <laughs> but it works kind of odd, and I don't know if this is just the eliminate clouds implementation of it or if this is just how it works but essentially it takes the it takes a full trace log of everything that happened and then it kind of reproduces the steps based on that log it's not like a real time monitor of the execution it's more of a let's play it back type yeah, thing yeah. you know it's it's recording it and then you're playing it back which which you know that can be very useful yeah i mean it's better than nothing it's for sure than, and, it's, and I, I have managed to solve some bugs by way of it just seeing how it skipped over something I intended it to go into which isn't always evident in a unit test because sometimes when you're setting things up in a test it's running that code and then you try to uh, and then you try to actually execute that same block of code within a test framework but it, the IDE still sees it as something that's already been touched I don't know if that makes sense yeah I think so um, um, and what I really want to know is is what path it took during that particular
0: moment of execution yeah uh, and the Breakpoint's helped me yep. get that. Oh, that's very useful. Glad they so, added that. Yeah. It's funny, because I, <laughs> I was just telling you, like, we get in these situations with the clients and with prospects where I really am really put in the position, and, and it's I don't have to lie, either, <laughs> where I really have to advocate for the Salesforce platform mm-hmm. um, and and sell it. Um, it's weird, because like I said, I, I don't have to lie, mm-hmm. um, because in all cases that i'm doing this it is the best option it is better than uh, the other solutions that let I me mean, a prospect or a client may be considering um and if it's if not the best solution then i won't i won't advocate for it because that's you know we're actually an honest consulting company we try to be you know um and i'm not going to advocate for something that i don't believe is the right thing um, i feel like that long term just reduces reduce the value you deliver which mm-hmm. directly in my opinion correlates to the value you receive yeah um, but yeah no it's, it's funny how I, I am often in this position where'm I'm, I'm, I'm bragging on the platform and selling and, and describing in detail like architecturally why it's the right choice compared to other offerings that are out there.
1: I think our industry lends itself to that because there's so much legacy that has not been brought brought been modernized. Um, that a lot of that tooling and just uh, industry focused stuff that's out there just isn't relevant or as relevant as it could be. Like a, it's like they developed it about? and like it an it stagnated. Well, some of these some of these tools that because we do a lot of education and stuff, a lot of these tools that these ed- I've seen them
0: and they're archaic. They're not modern. Oh yeah, I mean we have a we have a client that's that just is in the middle of a like a I guess an implementation of um one of these big you know software packages that that universities run Uh it's like manages all their students and all their academics and curriculum and everything and it's a brand new implementation and it uh, sadly this is really kind of a state-of-the-art system but it is so incredibly crusty i'm just i'm shocked Uh that this is still a leading and one of the most successful options out there there are some people in that space that are trying to disrupt it. Uh there's um there's one that runs that I think they built on the Salesforce platform, which I do have some misgivings about that. I just can't imagine that working well, but um th- again, a lot of benefit there would be a lot of benefits to it, because you get all the platform and CRM aspects and communication oh. for kind of for free. I mean not free. You're paying for it, but it's included. <laughs> It's not homegrown in, <laughs> building. It. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not you know, I mean, look at just look at the just any of the UI uh, or the or you know the just even basics of like email capabilities and whatever of these of these some of these kind of big legacy systems. It's it's horrendous. It's so bad. No, and as, I haven't seen SAP in forever,
1: but that for the longest time was my example of just the in terms of UI just horrible it's not great it's, it's it's used by just about every major company out there yeah. it has oh, yeah. not been modernized in any effective way again i haven't seen it in a decade but when i did see it even when it was quote unquote modernized
0: at that point in time it it was just a, a lipstick on a pig. Yeah. Well, and also the one of the big problems with SAP is, you know, you have, again, you have your typical enterprise, de- just like a Salesforce developer, which you have to say in yeah. scare quotes. Same thing with SAP developer. Yeah. I mean, I've known SAP developers. I used to live next door to one. And, you know. What, it, it works. You have the input I, boxes. You put yes, stuff I in know. it and you hit, you hit OK. <laughs> or you hit enter. There's not even an OK button. You hit enter. But you have these like ABAP programmers who are designing these screens. Yeah. And that's what you get, man. I remember that early on in my development career, um, just of
1: developers around me, they didn't care how it looked, but I did. I cared about things looking a certain way. I cared about them looking native to whatever operating system was being used. You know, whether yeah. it was XP or whatever,
0: I wanted it to look like it was supposed to. Um, not like it was custom that, That's built. a hard task too, because these platforms really, they don't help you in a way that's good enough. They didn't. Yeah. And
1: you really had to... to do some some actual work to get it to to even look as close as you could yeah um but yeah that, that's just something i've always kind of focused on was i wanted things to look good i wanted things to i wanted the user to enjoy using the the tool i didn't want it just to be a bunch of boxes and there you go yeah um even even back when i was doing access
0: database programming um i was trying yeah no i remember that trying to do that i mean i've seen some of your stuff and you used to like, I mean, even like in VB stuff, you'd do, you'd be doing these like Windows Win32. Yeah, calls we had to hook to into stuff. the to the Windows API. Yeah. Um, my colleague
1: at the time, we were both kind of the same mindset. We wanted to look yeah. and act, and so we did the extra work of hooking into the API. The only problem is the VB data types didn't match the Win32 API. So like longs and integers and things were different formats. So it was really easy to to break things. Um, also, the responses weren't always well caught. It's just there was there were some issues, there were some challenges to it, but it was. Yeah. You learned a lot. You learned yeah. a lot from doing it. Yep. So anyway, all right. Second half, second like, half of the show, John. I kind of feel like I almost got some of my rant out, <laughs> but this start, this all started on Monday. Um, so, uh, and my birthday is part of it because I work for this company that's very very uh, nice about your birthday, and they say take your birthday off. So I was had a plan to take my birthday off, which was on Tuesday. Um, so, Monday, I wanted to get a build out, a latest build of our application out, and I'm having all kinds of issues. I started early in the morning. I knew it was going to take a while to do the build, so I ran the command and let it sit there and ran, Grab some coffee. I think at some point it was still running, went and grabbed some breakfast. Still running. And when it finally returned, which was about 45 minutes later, which is never do- never does that, in fact... My normal default wait time is about 20 minutes is what I set it at. I think I set it at like 25, um, which means after that point, it stops polling. Yeah. And you have to start running the <laughs> command manually. So here I am running this command Sorry, manually. Sorry, what, what were you, you run, Spin up a Try, org or something? I'm trying to create a version of the package. So okay. what you do is once you're ready to submit this package and get it out there, in my case, create a beta so we can start testing it, is I need to create a version of that package that I can install. And that's that's the command I ran was to create this this version. Uh normally it does take around ten to fifteen minutes, which in of itself is a problem, but you kind of accept it for what it is. But when it starts getting up to past twenty five minutes, thirty minutes, forty five minutes, even up to almost two hours. In fact, I think the last the longest I waited for a build to go through was almost three hours. And that was on Wednesday. Um so you, so you gotta imagine that on Monday I'm trying to get this release out. And unfortunately, I was having errors in the build process. And a lot of it stems from the fact that I can't, I can't, I'm not installing profiles, but the profile that I'm using when I'm developing has access to everything. So what ends up happening is I run the build and I get all these permission errors, either in testing or something, because I'm not submitting profiles, I'm submitting permission sets. And for some reason, that permission set either doesn't have what it needs or something and so I'm getting all these issues that I have to deal with, and so that means on a normal build day I might have to build it two or three times just to resolve some of those. When you say build, are we talking
0: about uh, uh, creating the pre version, the version? The version? Yeah. Okay, so it runs all tests and everything when you create a version, right? It has to because uh, now it's required. Um, well, what if what if the what if the way your package works is once what's installed, then the administrator edits profiles to give access to things and you're, you don't ship any profiles or permissions that's with your package. That's a, that's a valid case. Well, how do you, how are your tests supposed to succeed in that? Well, you're supposed to, I mean, who, which user does your, te- do the test run as when you're, it runs on whatever,
1: it just like any other test. It, it has an admin account when it creates its own kind of scratch org in the background to run, to run all your tests. Mm-hmm. And that user account is typically a sysadmin account. Okay. Um, but unfortunately it doesn't always have all the permissions cause you're installing new things and yeah. in, into that environment. So it's, you have to make sure that when you write your test, you're writing with certain user accounts and you're given those permissions. But I ran into an issue with that and I'll get into that. Um, so it's normal that I come across this. It's normal that I have permissions that need to get updated that for some reason we're working in dev, but not because for some reason I forgot to, or someone added a new field and I forgot to add it to the permission set. Um, we don't ship profiles, but we do ship permission sets. Um, and so it's normal to have two or three cycles until I get it. Um, I might be mitigated if I started running nightly builds, but that's just a whole different topic. Either way, build day, trying to get this out, but it's taking hours. And that was my entire day of running, seeing errors, trying to resolve, run it again, seeing additional errors, Um not catching things in my in my config, like for some reason a custom index ended up in my source, which I don't know why it got there, but it was an object I created. What's that? What's that custom index? <sighs> I didn't even know this was in the metadata API for you to download, but it's it's when you have an object and you set something up as either an external ID or something that's indexable for You're right. querying. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a metadata file for that for the index itself. Yeah, for the index oh. itself, and I never knew that. It just showed up, and I was like, oh, that's a thing. Hmm. I'm sure it's documented somewhere. It just was, wasn't something I was expecting. So I deleted this object because I wanted to rename it and create it as something else. And for some reason in my source, when I pulled everything, I didn't notice it in the status that there was this weird object in there. It pulled it down. I'm unaware of it, so I never knew it was there. I keep trying to build. And the name, because all I wanted to do was rename it into something else, um, looked very similar to what I ended up in naming it. So I'm trying to rerun this build like two or three times not realizing that it's this wayward file that I have to get rid of, because mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pulling it into the package and saying, "Hey, there's nothing to attach this index to." Well, the the the, the, <laughs> the error message isn't that; it just it, the error message is something more generic, like I don't know, this does not exist in the metadata or something like that. I'm like, what? It's right there. It's it's the object name and field name. Why isn't it? Does it not exist?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so it took me forever until I finally. Came back after a lunch or something, looked at it and realized, oh, this is the old object name, not the new object name. It's the right field, but it's the wrong object name. And so I went and deleted that file, and that build finally went through, or at least that error was resolved. I still yeah. had other errors, um, but it's, it's just the constant. You did all this on your birthday, back to no, backup? I did this on Monday. Okay, and that's the frustrating part because I knew I was going to have the day off the next day, and I wanted to get this build done, and get the beta environment set up, so I can hand it off to testing and relax. Yeah. Okay. I ended up till seven, eight o'clock at night, running builds, trying to resolve different things. Um, I ended up just calling it quits and saying, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and that's what led to my, my birthday is that I was so on edge. I knew I didn't have to work that the next day. So I poured a drink. still pissed off. Oh yeah. About it. Cause I couldn't get my mind I off of it. Even. Why so, can't I do a damn bill? I can't
0: even sleep when I have a day like that. Yeah. And so I, I ended up having another drink Yeah. yeah. that led to like four drinks. <laughs> It's driving you to drink. So the this, this next platform, day, this platform is not good for your health.
1: The next day I was so hungover. I mean, I was, I hadn't been this hungover in a long time. Uh, I, I finally so hungover got hungover on your birthday. I was, I ended up sleeping most of my birthday. I couldn't even <laughs> eat breakfast. I was like, I need something in my stomach. I'm feeling like crap. I took one bite. and like, I can't eat this. <laughs> so then I went back to sleep. Uh, finally, by the afternoon, I was able to eat something. I started feeling better, but yeah, that was my birthday was sleeping and trying to get over a hangover because I had such a horrible time just trying to do this build. And that's the norm. Now this time it was a little worse because the time it took to, for the build to finish or to respond was in the hours. It wasn't 10 minutes. It wasn't 15 minutes. It wasn't 20 minutes. It was an hour, two hours. And I did post on Slack eventually. Like I was just frustrated. I was like, "Why? What is going on? Did I miss something? Is there something going on?" It turns out there was something going on. Salesforce was doing their preview releases this week. Yeah. Um, so, which means that all the sandboxes and and whatever scratch orgs are switching over to the latest Winter '23 um, GA releases are going to happen next weekend, starting September 9th, and for the next three weeks or two weeks after that. Um, and everyone's acting like it's normal like oh yeah it's it's release week it's normal i'm like yeah it's normal but i've never seen it this bad where i've had to wait three hours for a build uh and it was affecting not just scratch org creation it was it was uh package installs were taken forever um deployments were taken forever uh sandbox provisioning scratch orgs provisioning anything relating to the api seemed to just crawl and i don't know what it is about their architecture that causes this i understand that that resources are getting split in half because you have half on the latest release and half on the old release and there might be less compute
0: power can possibly. I, can I ask you a question about that? Okay. You you are uh, aware of what hyperforce is, right? Yeah. It's the it's the name given to the fact that Salesforce is running everything on AWS. On AWS, now. AWS yeah. What is the point of hyperforce if not to prevent things like this? I have no idea. I don't either at this one. I'm, I'm at a loss.
1: I have no idea. Um, so anyway, someone from Salesforce, I believe his name's Sean. I want to say it's Sean. <laughs> I won't say any more, though. But he, he went ahead and posted something to kind of help us all out because he mainly works, I think, with the CLI team. Um, so he put a post on GitHub. And uh, it basically says what happens during preview. So he's trying to help, kind of help us understand. You're talking about Shane? Shane. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Uh, He's trying to help us understand what is going on during these release cycles. And I think it makes sense to a certain point. Uh, I'll just read what he says. Uh, What happens during preview? Reduced capacity on scratch org infrastructure leads to longer times for things like scratch org creation, metadata API, which is all the deploy, achieve, push, uh, delete, uh, package, create, install, and test execution. That was another thing. Text execution was horrible. Yeah. Um, why it happens? Uh, he says there's a fixed amount of non-prod infrastructure where Scratch orgs and sandboxes live. When the release preview starts, a portion of the infrastructure is updated to the new release. Um, at first, everyone's dev hub orgs are on the current Summer '22 release, um, so will by default be put their Scratch orgs on the same release of their hub, which is causing the traffic jam. Hmm. Um, that that was kind of weird. Kind of weird. I really didn't understand that. Uh, he goes on to say what you can do is if you can use a scratch org on the new release. So essentially, if you can basically point your scratch org definition file to preview, which is bas- basically use the latest, the newer version. Yeah, there's less traffic. there. There's less traffic yeah. there. And <clears throat> I, I'm assuming more resources. I'm not sure what how they uh, ratio the rate, the resources between the preview and, and legacy. But uh, apparently that's one thing you can do. Mm-hmm. uh I, I mean, that's fine, I guess. But now you're testing on a release that doesn't exist yet.
0: Yeah, um, sometimes that is probably fine. But a lot of times, I mean, if you're trying to get a package out that's going to go out on the cur- whatever the current release is, then you, you can't do that. Yeah. What, in fact, what happens if you... Um, can you create a new package version on a preview release and then put that in the App Exchange? You should be able to. Really? That's weird.
1: Because it's not a dependency. What, what you, you're not creating a dependency on when you're 32. What you're doing is you're just using Winter you 32 do?
0: resources. But what if you do, what if you do uh, say inadvertently uh, form a dependency on some new API that's available or some new, there's some new field added to some. Yeah. Strategy. You just have to be really careful about not doing that. Well, that's no such thing as being careful. I mean, you, do, you, you, you compile against the right versions of things for a reason. I, know. I get it. I've, I've done that. I just don't think they would let you do that. I don't think I, I don't, I'm guessing the Salesforce does not allow you to, to, to release a package against a, a a preview version of salesforce
1: well you technically can't you can't okay you can't create that dependency but what you can do is you can create an environment that's on the new release push your code to it and run the test yeah okay that's and that's and that's, good. That's, that's what they, that's what he's saying yeah. he's saying that yeah just point it to this new release run your release version against that and it'll use those resources instead and yeah. you should get a quicker response back yep um but yeah, it just seemed like this release was worse than others. And that wasn't the only one. There was a bunch of people chiming in on this thread that were um talking about, you know, how many how how many issues they're having, um, how a lot of them are, are on, on using um continuous delivery tools, CI tools and things like that. They're just they're just <laughs> failing. Yeah. They're timing out, they're just not getting the responses or, or things just aren't happening. And it's just it's it's a bigger issue than I think anybody than anyone's admitting. I mean trust had nothing on this or anything. It was just It's just, it is what it is. Uh, And if it wasn't for someone posting and saying, hey, it's release preview week, I probably wouldn't have known. tell you what the fundamental problem is.
0: The cloud is kind of BS.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, at times I understand it. You know, they're having resources. There's only a finite number of resources. But the other side of me says, hey, Salesforce is a freaking billion dollar company. Fix it. (laughs) Sorry. Parker
0: yeah
1: but I mean what am I supposed to say I, I mean I'm it's 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 like I don't I don't know I mean how how much of a pass am I supposed to give Salesforce this major large corporation that employs hundreds if not thousands of engineers and software developers to do what Amazon does
0: it's priorities man
1: it's I mean, is priority. is it a is it a symptom of the legacy architecture of the application? I doubt it because they've started moving things to AWS
0: in terms of hardware. That's just that's just a that's just a metal lift and shift though. That's that doesn't affect the fundamental architecture of of Salesforce.
1: I mean, doesn't it when we're talking about
0: compute cycle resources? At the metal level, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> isn't that the argument for why everything's well, slow? It, give it more metal, right? Give it more resources. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. I mean, again with Hyperforce. And I know this I know there's, you know, it's a thousand times more complicated or complex than what I'm I'm making it sound. But really, I mean, I would think that with hyperforce, like problems like this wouldn't exist anymore. Right. Because Salesforce, you know, although I'm sure they're a relatively big customer for AWS, it's still, I mean, Salesforce probably isn't even 1% of AWS's, you know, size. So Salesforce needs to spin up a bunch of resources. That not a problem. It's just, it shouldn't be a problem. At least in my, you know, simple mind shouldn't be a problem i mean that's that is the to me that was the benefit of this i mean there were two kind of i mean i probably more i probably list more benefits of hyperforce i mean one of them is uh data like locality or whatever the hell they call that Mm -hmm. which is important for different you know other countries and different things data what's the term um it's not locality it's uh provenance no no data there's some word that's like yeah your data needs to be local basically um uh, and then also just the scale thing, right? I mean, you know, Salesforce is always adding customers, or if you you know need more um, resource in a certain region or whatever, you just what you're doing you just, a just, preview you release. You just turn the knob. Are you doing a preview release? You just turn the knob, and it's AWS's problem, and they solve that problem really well. Yeah. All you have to they gave you this knob. All you got to do is turn it. I know. And I know. I'm sweeping a lot of stuff on the rug here because yeah, there's a lot more involved. But no, because every time was, they turn that
1: knob, they have to plant another 10 million trees. You gotta but, think about no, the environment, you just, you just Jeremy. Turn the knob tree too. The oh, tree, the tree knob. They should just connect that knob to the tree knob, <laughs> and then both turn at the same time. Yeah, they should put some like jig on it that may, that just keeps them in sync. Yeah, or better, hire someone so that when one turns the knob, the other one turns the knob, and now yeah, you're you're but, employing but, people. But then,
0: but then you're that's true. But then you're you're relying on uh, human you know human error here. You're diversifying your your your
1: people, <laughs> so you're getting the diversity and the trees and more resources. I mean. That's, that just solves it all. Three. That's the yeah. trifecta. Yeah. But anyways, I thought, okay, well, maybe... I, I tried to solve this on my own, trying to rationalize it and give them an out. But And I thought, okay, well, Dreamforce is coming up, so there's probably a lot more builds. Yeah. And then I thought, it. well, what happens when we're all dev What happens when we're all running CI commands nightly to do our builds and test everything? Can Salesforce handle that kind of traffic? Can Salesforce handle... Let's say, how many developers
0: does Salesforce have now? What, what's the fake number? I mean, 10 years ago, it was 6 million, so it has okay, to be... so what's 10% of 6 million? 30 million? 600,000? Okay, yeah. So
1: let's say 600,000 scratch orgs are getting created every night and running. Okay. I mean, can they handle that?
0: I mean, uh, like, I mean the answer after needs, this week, no. The answer needs to be, yeah. I mean, you know, you're not going to get anyone from Salesforce to say that this is not a problem and they shouldn't do better because they should, they should do better. Um, and I, you know, we know because we, we know some of the people, like there are people working on this that are probably, tr- there have been you know, people who are trying to work on this and I had, know. had left because they weren't. Well, getting that's tracked true. Yet. No, that's, that's, that's a thing too. But, um,
1: I read this article, this guy, he, uh, he, 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 has a static site generator that he custom built for his, his blog. And he's written it in, like, all these different languages. Every time a new language comes out, it seems like he gets a new bug and says, I'm going to write it in that. So his latest iteration is Rust. Okay. And his reason for moving to Rust is because his last iteration, I think, might have been PHP or, or some other language. Uh, it took uh, 75 seconds to build his entire blog. With Rust? No, with his previous iteration. Okay. <clears throat> I'm like, damn it, dude, I can't even get a test to run in 75 seconds. I know. <laughs> I mean, since those kind of things, when I'm reading, when I'm trying to stay up to date with with programming and things like that, and I read about these stories and I read about the tooling and things that people have and their expectations of of when things should respond, um, how frequently you should run your tests and everything, all I can do is throw my hands up in the air and go, "I can't do that." Well,
0: and giving me a lot of work today, Don. The thing you mentioned the other day, you know, about your Monday. You know, here you are. You're our you know, chief application guy, and you—you you blew. I mean, you, it's not your fault, but I mean, you blew a day. We got we got nothing out of you for a day, basically. Yes,
1: exactly. But that's been my whole complaint about Salesforce in general. Who pays for the time I sit there and wait? If I'm if I'm doing client work, that's that, that's, who a a, k- for that's that? that's
0: a key point, John. That's a very key point here. Does Salesforce pay for that? No. So why would? <laughs> so let's look, talk about incentives here. <laughs> No, I mean, but it, it does come back to, it at the end of the day, um, Salesforce has to have a platform that works well enough, that's attractive enough, that solves enough problems that people want to buy it. So they do have an incentive. It's just a little bit more abstract and a little bit more re- removed than maybe what what's ideal.
1: I mean, they're incentivized. But they sell low-code. A low-code platform is what they sell. A low-code promise. Yes. They don't they don't advertise development. They have development because someone's gonna go, well, what if we can't do it with that tool? And they go, oh, well, that's great. You can you can build it yourself. We have this great language and you can program it and you can do that. It's it's not a selling feature. They don't sell development to people. They sell the platform and the low-code tools. Well development is just it's so not in vogue. Right. Right. It, but what that means is that there's no there's no incentive to invest in the platform at a developer level. It's people who care within Salesforce who advocate for that. It's people who talk to people like us or listen to this show that that advocate for that stuff. Yeah. But Salesforce at the high level does not. At least I've never seen any evidence of it.
0: I th- I think I think it's a mixed story here there's they're definitely investing in developer tools and developer experience and you know they're hiring people for that and they've been doing that for years you know they're just they're just they're not there yet and like I said I mean I think I think you know they need to do better in some of these areas and again we know there's a lot of people that are trying to make it better and things do get better it's just you know we want them to get better faster and you know you shouldn't you shouldn't have to blow a day because someone didn't turn the aw someone forgot to turn the aws knob up uh, before they went on vacation
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> really <clears throat> it's it's more than one day yeah it happens you every need to get
0: on one of these like advisory customer advisory panels at salesforce somebody should reach out to john maybe there I, are I, people I who just try think... to listen there are
1: people who try to advocate i mean at the, the very last summit that I was able to go to as an MVP, the last one that they ever had, um, they were talking about lightning. And I, w- I was about one what? of Lightning at Light- the time. Okay. Classic lightning or lightning. Um, Wait, there's something. Oh, classic lightning? You can't say that. This is too confusing. Or a lightning. Okay, okay. I'll say aura <laughs> yeah. lightning. Um, you know, we were able to voice our concerns about performance and things like that. Um, and we were talking to the people who were managing those products. And I thought that was valuable. I think the MVP group just got to a certain size and it just wasn't attainable for them to bring people together. Um, I have been on a lot of calls over the years with product managers who are thinking about doing things on the platform and wanting to get feedback from the community. I've been on those. And so there are are things that Salesforce does to try to collect that information and try to get that guidance. Um, Unfortunately, it doesn't always seem to, to pan out. And that's just the way the nature of business goes. Um, so I realized that,
0: but it doesn't, doesn't change the fact that I have a Monday. like yeah, I had, no, I know, I know. And again, I see, you know, I, so I have my days also, uh, not as many as you where I have my frustrations with Salesforce. And I'm like, why? But, um, they're just, they're uh, in this space of, like kind of like high level application, kind of customizable application platforms. Boy, there's a lot of them out there that are a lot worse than Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I just, I think their their growth rate and their scale still just, it's poses such a problem. It's an, It's a moving target. You can't just like optimize for what they have right now. It's constantly moving and you're like, what's the yeah. metaphor for that? Where you're just like, you're trying to work on a, you're trying to work on a car engine while the car is, you know, driving down the highway at 85 miles an hour. Yeah. So I don't it's know. It's not easy to do. No, it's not. But I like that. I like that. It could be worse.
1: I'm going to add that to my time from now on. <laughs> yeah. Waited an hour for, for Salesforce to respond. It eh, could be worse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, whoever reads the timesheets will get a kick out of that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, done. Let's see. What else do we have in our? Um, well, I, I. Oh, container queries. Container, container queries. queries yeah, they're are... they're um,
1: they're not really available for use yet. And there's some shivs out there that could, <laughs> some polyfill uh, solutions out there that'll basically run JavaScript to do this for you. But essentially, it's the idea of. In uh, the same way you have media queries in CSS, which allows you to, s- to set some rules to say, if the width is X, then I style my components this way. Or mm-hmm. if it's Y, style them this way. And or, if it's, it's how, or
0: if it's for print, do this. Or if it's or for, for print,
1: yeah. yeah. So it's a way for us to kind of... Con- to. Inform this the styling of, of the component based on the width yeah. and that helps us with the responsive design and f- different form factors like phones and tablets and and desktop computers that have you know much wider real estate um, but a lot of times that's not enough because what that measurement is based on is the entire width of the browser um, so if you're if you have a component that's smaller, Sometimes what you want is that if this component gets to a certain size, you want it to change its layout. You yep. want it to either reduce its content or be less noisy or just to kind of position things in a, in a, in a way that's more consumable for that form factor. Uh, and that's what CSS containers are hoping to solve, which is similar to media Contain- queries. Container queries? <clears throat> container queries. Mm. Is that you'd be able to say, okay, if my component is X then style it one way, and if it's Y, style it another way. And I think that's a really important feature, especially for com- systems like Salesforce, where your component lives inside of this page, and that page is not always 100%. Um, your component might get dragged into the sidebar, your contro- into one of the side panels, or your component might be center stage, or maybe your component's on a layout that has three or four columns, um, what do you do with that? Right now, everything just kind of squishes and truncates or you have some toggle switch in your builder that says narrow format or mm-hmm. wide format or something like that. Yep. So I think having these container queries will allow us to kind of build these components and let them to be more responsive um, in a way that we intended to versus having these these manual yeah. toggles.
0: Yeah, it's really useful because, I mean, before, I mean, uh, you're, you're kind of, your options for determining what the width of your component is and doing something about it was basically... You could you could figure that out with JavaScript, mm-hmm. and then have the JavaScript maybe add set a set a CSS class on something, or we'll do some things, or whatever. You know, um, yeah. Obviously, not ideal,
1: right? And that's kind of what you have to do. But you would basically have to hook into the window event, look for resizing, analyze your compo- your component's size, maybe in relation to its parent container, um, and then and then try to figure out how you're going to style it. Yeah. So th- there's a lot of work to do just to custom build that and having a feature kind of ready-made native into the browser, into the CSS, um, is definitely a, a big plus. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's still early days. It's nothing we can rely on anytime soon, but at least it's
0: on the horizon as a, as a potential solution. It feels like it's soon just because I've kind of been kind of tracking the development of it for, it feels like a couple of years.
1: I mean, it, it's it's coming soon in that it's starting to make it in, as an experimental feature in browsers. Okay. However, it depends on what your policy is on browser support. If you're saying you have to support uh, IE still, mm. oh, yeah. which you probably shouldn't, yeah. and this is not a feature you're going to be able to use until years, yep. until that drops off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it came tomorrow in all modern browsers, top versions of browsers depending on your your policies you may or may not be able to rely on it yet mm-hmm. so that, that's the only problem with some of these these standards as they come about it might even it, as soon as it goes ga it doesn't mean that you can start using it because it depends on who you're trying to support
0: or will, will there be a good shiv for it as you say yeah yeah for people who don't know john john <laughs> calls shims shivs yeah it's just a mental hiccup yeah no well it's but it's become a let become a thing. Like, yeah. A, a thing for the show. Kind of like grape soda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well,
1: uh, since we're talking about design, we can talk about uh, Salesforce's kinetic system. So this is a, an, a, an evolution in the design system. Um, I didn't really see it publicized a lot. I just kind of happened to notice when I was looking at the design system that they had this new section called kinetics. And what it is, it's it's. It's essentially just designers nerding
0: out on the UI concepts. I mean, before, animation on the UI. Before we nerd out on like design system stuff, can we can we not just tighten up everything that's drifted and like fix all the things and setup and different areas? Can we just get that going, please? Yeah. Can we get the lightning feature parity that I think still doesn't exist?
1: I have I have noticed some changes in the uh, variable syntax or the schema for the variables in Salesforce. There there's there's some new things in there that tell me the design system might be getting updated soon. Um, So you had like a lot of SLDS kind of prefixes on things, but now there's like a new SDS prefix on things. Um, And some of them are changing. So I'm thinking there might be something on the horizon.
0: This is like when Apple accidentally releases like a beta build of their software that includes model numbers of products (laughs) that don't exist yet. Yeah. (laughs)
1: I could be wrong, and it could have just been someone decided they were going to use something for someone else. There might be only internal tags that they're tagging as SDS or whatever, or I'm sorry, internal variables. Um, but, anyways, seeing that 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 the design system still is getting attention with with kind of adding in the kinetics format, and the kinetics format is supposed to touch all aspects of the design system because okay. all the interactions with say a button click or or anything that requires movement. Um, should have this kinetic system built into it, which is kind of this sense of motion.
0: So I was going to ask you for what the hell is the elevator pitch on kinetics, but I actually found it. Let me read this from the thing. Um, The Salesforce Kinetic System is an end-to-end motion design identity for Salesforce and its products. Okay, so I need to unpack what an end-to-end motion design identity is. I, I don't even... My, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so my take on that is that is
1: what I was saying is that it's supposed to infect all aspects of the platform. So every interaction you have within the system should have kinetics implemented into it. So if you expand something, it should it should Such it should move smoothly, open and close. Kinetics. It, it's so kinetics is is, is about motion. the motion. Yeah, yeah. Um, similar to the material design. Whenever you click on something, you get a little little blip shows up and it's there's not there- just a blip, it's a blip on where your mouse clicked. Yeah. So there's 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 context involved as well. Um and it's just meant to convey that something's happening, that something's going on, that the system that you're doing something in the system. Um versus kind of these really what you might call is that me? No, it's me. Sorry. Uh, I'm trying to fix it. <laughs> Apparently it's not working. Apparently not. Apparently, someone's having a full blown conversation with you.
0: Is that coming on the recording or just us? It, it should probably is, but oh, okay. it's, I've got to, I have moved on. Do not disturb. So I'm not sure why I'm still getting that. Yeah, it's getting pushed through.
1: Um, so, anyways, I, I'm kind of hopeful. I don't think it. I don't think any kind of evolution of the design system that might be coming up is is going to be a massive change. Like I don't think the theme itself is going to change drastically. I think it'll just be an evolution of the components, maybe a little bit more refinement on them. Um, Again, adding the kinetic motion features to it, but um, I don't I don't see any kind of major change to, to the design system coming in terms of major shift in the theming, yeah. um, kind of like we had in the
0: past, where I'm, the I'm theme read- would look completely different. I don't see that happening. Okay. I'm going to read the rest of this, too. It provides a foundational set of artifacts for designers and developers. It includes principles, personality definitions... Best practices, styling hooks, learning modules, and motion tools. The intent is to enable the evolution and scaling of Salesforce kinetic patterns across our products with design system components that are pre-baked with motion right out of the box. Again, that all sounds great. Mm-hmm. You gonna fix the stuff that's been busted for seven or eight years now? Still, or it still is. I mean, I mean, I live in setup quite a bit. And there's just, I was on the screen the other day. Yeah. I forget which one it was, but every time you at saved something, it would just flash like a. Th- I mean, you, if you had, what's the thing where like it makes you go the, uh, epilepsy? Oh, oh, this screen would have triggered. Um, like every time you moved around or saved, I forget what it was, but it was like, it would just do this multiple flash thing. Cause you know, it's in a frame like that, like, a, they yeah. got like iframes and stuff. And it's just, it's,
1: I, I'm, it's slow going. I'm starting to see other interfaces get updated, but even the updated interfaces,
0: do not seem to apply the design system at all. It's it's like each person kind of, it's like each team or whatever, each screen. Like they kind of looked at the design system and just did their own implementation of it. Uh, yeah. Try you know try to get as close as they could. Things or Things like
1: spacing or interactions <laughs> like or the choice no of,
0: of of iconography and things like that. They just
1: they're just not cohesive. Yeah. Um. So it it, it kind of it's kind what it kind of says to me is that the the design team is kind of siloed off, and they're out here. Producing this documentation and these things, saying, "Hey, this is the design language that we should all be using," and everyone's kind of going to the design system site and going, "Okay, I'm going to pull this and this and this," but there, there's there's no cohesiveness to it, cohesiveness to it, if that's even a word. Um, it's just, it's again, it's like you said, it's just someone's interpretation. That someone's interpretation is not of a designer; it's of someone just trying to build this tool, and that's more evident in. Any of the new setup screens that are coming about than it is in um, Salesforce proper UI. The proper UI seems to conform and get enough attention that things are cohesive, the new features that are coming there and they look nice and they interact nice. It's the things that someone doesn't set up that are kind of iffy
0: yeah it's just it reminds me of roads i mean like ideally the really well traveled roads and the ones Mm. that get the most revenue so like your tollways and stuff like that yeah like you're not going to see any potholes on those yeah but the more you get to less traveled roads roads that don't um, have as much revenue associated to them so you start seeing potholes everywhere and signs that fallen over and crap in the street and everything and it's yeah but this you know this is cool i mean uh, you know, Salesforce is big enough; they can pay people to do this pie in the sky stuff. Um, you know, but the problem is: is is every team going to adopt and implement this you know, to a significant degree? Well, I think the idea is that again, on of... the, the well traveled roads, probably
1: so. I mean, but... Salesforce does have a component library that we all use. So we use the Lightning dash input, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could just do input and add all the, the CSS tags ourselves, but they provide those components because it ha- it should have. A lot more functionality that we shouldn't have to write, build ourselves or write ourselves. Yeah. And this kinetic system is also going to be part of that. So if you're, if you're using those Salesforce components, I imagine that they'll inherit any of the kinetic systems that they put in place for those. The problem is (laughs) any of us that are writing custom components and have used the blueprints or whatever we have to, to, to style those or or to implement those, we're going to have some work to to implement these kinetic systems just, just to make sure we have parity with the UI. And that's assuming people care enough to do that. Yeah. So I mean, I have I have a love hate relationship with trying to see this design system progress, um, but knowing that I myself have built things custom using blueprints, um, know that there's not always going to be an opportunity to go in and just rewrite those components for the sake of
0: adding a kinetic system yeah. to it. Yeah, it looks cool. I mean. I do enjoy that kind of
1: thing. I do, too. And I I think it keeps Salesforce modernized. I mean, as our complaint earlier, you can have an application that has all the right features, but if it's not modernized, if it's not built to the aesthetics that people are are expecting from a
0: product that costs a lot to use, um, it's just a waste. Yeah. Yeah, you know, anytime, think about when you make a big purchase in life, when spend a lot of money on something it's like yeah. you expect you expect it to be good yeah i expect a lot out of this darn laptop that right you could buy two
1: of two windows windows laptops for yeah. at the same price mm. and i expect that screen to look incredible Yeah, i expect this keyboard to work immaculate i expect the fans not to <laughs> yeah. turn on and ruin our yeah, show if you,
0: if you got that and you open it up and there's you know a couple of the keys are all janky and yeah. uh part of the screen had a bunch of dead pixels like that would probably not be okay. One of the keys is a different font. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, exactly. It's a great example. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's what we're talking about. When we talk about this, this, this drift in the design system that we see in the application. Yeah. Um, is one of the keys is a different yeah. font.
0: No, it looks, it looks like a ransom letter. Yeah.
1: Your <laughs> uh, I found this other article about uh cloud lock in. Okay. Um, the only comment I wanted to make on it was it made me think about the question of why do we care about vendor lock-in and it opens with that. It's just technology companies were right to care so much about vendor lock-in in in the last two decades in the, or in the last two decades in the past, developers were burned by IBM, Microsoft, and Oracle services, often with few alternatives and price gouging.
0: It's funny that people still don't include Salesforce in that list yet. And I've, I've been the, I've been like, I swear the sole voice for the past twenty years talking about vendor lock in and these and these SaaS things.
1: Yeah. But I think I th- you know I think I understood vendor lock-in as as you wanting to to be able to move your platform or maybe there's some some new shiny you want to do and you want to you want to be able to move it there. You want it to be portable. You don't want to be locked yeah. in and forced and just
0: in business you don't you you want to avoid constraints as much as possible. You you want to preserve you know degrees of freedom. Yeah.
1: But I, th- I think I never really thought about The historical reason for that, you know, this didn't just come out of the ether and someone just said, hey, we should make things portable. And no, it happened because companies literally just abused people. Absolutely. They still strong every day. With their contracts and their licensing and said, John, where are you going to go, buddy? Where are you going to go? Every day. Yes, (laughs) I know. Um
0: Anytime you talk about a, you know, some platform or a product or something being sticky, Mm -hmm. that's what that is. Sticky and sticky is good for the person selling. It's not good for the people buying.
1: Yeah. But I mean, this this article tries to balance it out. I'm not going to go into it too much. I just thought it was an interesting thought exercise in my head because I never I understood why vendor lock in was a thing we should we should be trying to avoid. Um, But I never really understood the historical impact of it, even though I was aware of it. I knew Microsoft and their licensing and their strong arming. I knew about IBM. I knew about all that stuff, but I didn't make the connection for some reason. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a balance, but you also can't be so anti lock in that you don't use a platform to the best of its ability. You might have to accept certain trade-offs to get
0: features or efficiencies or anything out of that platform that you're using. Right. It reminds me of, I mean, it's similar to like the, just the concept of like coupling and and code. Mm -hmm. You're going to have coupling. I mean, just, just, referencing a class name or a, or a static or anything I and mean, that this is all coupling or the order that you put your statements in mm-hmm. that's sequential coupling i mean there's you have to but you have to you need to consciously choose and design your coupling in ways that give you the most flexibility and and your other illities right. test you know whatever all these things and you know business contracts are this are the same way you yes you have to you have to form contracts in business and you have to make uh, promises and, but you just want to, you want to form these contracts and make these promises in ways that are, you know, on the whole, more you know, because they give you that preserve your business agility mm-hmm. and that give you, you know, like put you in the best position to, for the, to help you accomplish the missions of your organization. Right. And a lot of times, if you don't structure your contracts right, you will not be able to accomplish the missions of your organization. or It will be extremely difficult because you got things dragging you down. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame that concepts like this exist because it
1: ultimately means that you can't fully entirely trust the other party that you're partnered with.
0: I know. Sometimes I'm just like, damn it. Why can't people just like make badass stuff and be cool? Yeah. You know, what happened to that?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that's pretty much all I had that I really wanted
1: to get to. There's some follow up on Oracle and their their execs kind of being naughty, or at least just non empathetic to their employees that they're laying off as they sit there and talk about their real estate and their cars and stuff. Some of it's pretty egregious. Like they'll have like these all hands meetings, and apparently the conversation will devolve, and they think they're they're just kind of shooting shooting shooting. I'm trying not to say the s shooting Shooting the stuff shooting the stuff and they end up just talking about their lives but their lives are completely unrelatable to the people below them i saw this this they're just in this
0: bubble Uh, yeah i I think i saw that story a couple weeks ago um everyone everyone loves to hate on oracle so these stories are always gonna you're never gonna see a story like this from salesforce just to pick on salesforce you're always gonna see this about oracle um oracle may not be as good at feigning um Sympathy and virtue and all that stuff, you know, I don't don't think they're that's the quite the culture there. So I mean, it points to a larger problem
1: that they have these execs who are very well off and they're in such a bubble that they they see no qualms about discussing those things while they're laying off people while they wasted billions of dollars on a campaign to improve their marketing tools that Did never we happened. We like to use the term invested? Invested. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that whole group, that whole group responsible for that whole initiative is, I think they all got cut. Yeah. They're all gone. All yeah. lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't see anybody losing
0: their Maserati or whatever. They might. It might be people, who, if they don't have a job, they may not have their Maserati for very much longer. No, these, <laughs> these execs, they have the golden parachutes. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Like
1: you screwed up. You're gone. Here's your million dollars. Your two million dollars for the next three years. That's why all these businesses
0: work, man. Yeah, Yeah. I need to get up into sea levels. I know. Me too. (laughs) I am ostensibly I'm I'm there, but it's at a very very small company (laughs) who has very limited resources. So. (laughs) All right, John. Well, thanks for uh, taking the second half of the show. There, that was nice. We we're not. You're not streaming this live, are you? No, because I got sticker requests rolling in. <laughs> <laughs> like the live, live sticker request. Um,
1: do you have an Alexa in here somewhere?
0: That I, could be uh, I, we do, but it's unplugged. You think it still listens, though? Oh, yeah. It still listens. I know. Damn, yeah. Bezos. It wants to know you, what you think of the new uh, Lord of the Rings show. Well, John, we're. Oh, uh, yeah. I want to watch that, actually. We'll they they re- re- just release two episodes of it, I think. I think so. Yeah. yeah. that would be awesome. This is episode 297. Yep. Getting really close to that 300. We really haven't talked about that. Um, Can we. Can we do two more before dreamforce so that so that the dreamforce one is three hundred yeah if we i mean yeah if we record, I didn't think that was possible, if but we it, record every week, we see two more, yeah, before dreamforce, right, so if we recorded next week, it' be short shows, no, we only have one more week. I'm gone the week after that, well, then we record twice next week on a short week, or we could record early in the week, when am I leaving? Hang on This doesn't really say. Or we just delay the Dreamforce episode till till I'm we get shy. there? Um, hey, September 15th is the first day of Hispanic Heritage Month.
1: Hmm.
0: Shouldn't it be on a um, I thought it had already started. A Tuesday, you know? so we could combine it with Taco Tuesday? It's racist. No, it's not. It's, it's, <laughs> I just... I, I like tacos. Hey, I like to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. Yes, yeah, so you're in the rest of the world that likes Tex-Mex. <laughs> <laughs> Tex-Mex. <laughs> I like a lot of other kind of Hispanic cuisines as well, John. I do too. So. Uh, all right, man. Well, thanks. Like I said, thanks for taking care of that. And maybe we'll do another show next week. And I don't know. I, don't, I doubt we can get two more in before Dreamforce. But we can try. Or we can, like, record one and do split the, the thing the where two. people split it. Yeah. yeah. Just leave it on a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, just to, to circle back. Um uh, send us your sticker requests, please. We can ship them anywhere in the world. Uh, info at gooddaysurpodcast.com. You can also uh, send us topic suggestions. We don't get much of those anymore. So we need we need some we we, don't, we need to know what people want to hear us talk about. That's the thing. So get those in. Um, and then uh, otherwise subscribe. I don't. We don't. We don't ever look at our. Subscri- I don't even know how to look at our subscriber numbers. But apparently, that's the thing you're supposed to. I can't believe people listen to podcasts without subscribing to them. It's just weird to me. I guess. I guess you have to remember which podcast you listen to and just go to them and then hit play. But you should subscribe. We We could be someone's um, guilty pleasure, and that's why they don't
1: subscribe. I don't even understand. like. There's. There's like YouTube. Channels that I watch that I don't subscribe to because I don't want people to know that I watched.
0: Oh watch <laughs> well, unfortunately, it does hit your history. So oh, I clear
1: that. You clear that? Yeah. I
0: know, you're. Pr- you're pr- I'm. I'm a, I'm a history clearer you're a pro. Though it's
1: not that I have anything to hide. I just. Uh-huh. I just want to. I, I Just want to clean. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well then, you then the algorithm can't help you. Actually, YouTube actually, does, I prefer YouTube's that because sometimes,
1: especially when I get sick, I, I I fall asleep and it's playing, and then I have to reset it because for some reason it went down a rabbit hole, and I don't want to see that stuff.
0: Yeah. That's true. It the, uh, the algorithm starts it it take it's taken the positive feedback loop way too far. Mm-hmm. It's like you get stuck in a feedback loop vortex hell. Yeah. All right, what else, John? That's it. That's all I got. All right. And to that I
1: say good day, sir.
0: You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.